Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. So is Vancouver's housing crisis really gutting the population of young people living here in the city? A new report from RBC is examining some of our preconceptions about how real estate prices are affecting local demographics. Joining us later on today, it's going to be RBC senior economist Robert Hogue. And then after that, retail insiders Craig Patterson, he dives in into the latest industry news, including grocery store expansion in BC, Lululemon venturing into the footwear game, and the return of Coastal Contacts founder Roger Hardy to the eyewear business following the failure of his Shoes.com venture. But before we get there, a few events to tell you about. First of all, it's Navigating Canada's LNG Opportunity. That is April 30th at the Van City Theatre. And then the Finding the Best Price and Buyer for Your Business event. That is May 8th at the Vancouver Club. And the Cannabis 2.0 event is on May 22nd at the Shangri-La Hotel. For more information on all these events and more, visit BIV.com events. Now let's talk housing with RBC senior economist Robert Hogue. So Vancouverites are used to seeing a steady stream of, say, blog posts or tweets from young people announcing their departure from the city due to high housing costs. But are we actually experiencing a thinning of this demographic here? A new report from RBC is pushing us to re-examine some of our preconceptions over what impacts the housing crisis is having on Vancouver and Canada's other major cities. With us today, it's Robert Hogue. He is Senior Economist at RBC. Robert, great to have you back on the show again. Well, thanks for the invitation. So you examined ages 20 to 34 here in your report. And can you tell me a little bit about what's happening to the population in cities like Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal? Yeah, well, I mean, just basically, we're we're observing what uh, you you just uh, I guess highlighted as kind of the general observation is that some folks of in that uh, age uh, cohort, basically, we're talking about the millennials here, are indeed leaving the major cities of uh, Toronto, uh, Vancouver, and Montreal to a certain extent towards you know, their nearby areas, like within. Maybe a couple hours drive, uh, but but really that's only part of the picture. And uh, the bigger picture is that uh, of uh, uh, other folks of the similar uh, of similar age, so basically other millennials coming from abroad, from from other countries, and also coming from other provinces, more than make up for that uh, net loss to other regions within the same uh, uh, the same province. So overall, on net, uh, both uh, all of those. those three major cities in Canada, uh, the millennial population continues to grow at a fairly rapid clip. And, and you know, just to highlight and give a little bit of numbers here, for the, in 2018, those three cities uh, saw an increase of uh, 96,000 uh, millennials. Uh, and so when you look at the composition of the population, uh, if anything, millennials aren't thinning out, as you pointed out in your introduction. But are, are continue to be uh, overrepresented in those uh, large uh, uh, three cities. So we don't see any kind of evidence uh, that uh, there's any kind of uh, uh, hollowing out of the millennial population in Canada's major cities, and that includes Vancouver. 
So do you think maybe policymakers need to take a, a step back and reconsider some of the measures that have been taken in the last you know, few years to address some of the housing issues that we're experiencing here? Or are we still kind of going on the right path, even though some of the data doesn't necessarily fit with some of the narratives that we think would be true? Well, I mean, the fact that uh, you know, on, on net you don't have uh, an exodus of millennials doesn't mean that you don't have a housing <laughs> issue. Uh, so anything that uh, any policy uh, that uh, ultimately aims to improve uh, housing affordability, in our view, is most of the, the more successful policies have to come from the supply side, uh, should continue to, to be uh, encouraged. At the end of the day, the younger generation continues to have a serious affordability issue uh, in those, uh, well, especially in Toronto and Vancouver, it's less uh, the case in Montreal, but definitely in Vancouver, the uh, affordability uh, is, and, and both on, on you know, the ownership side and also on the rental side. Uh, and so uh, you know, our uh, uh, conclusion that uh, we don't have a, a hollowing out of, of millennials doesn't mean that uh, policymakers should uh, should ignore uh, the, the housing affordability uh, problems. And with that in mind, because you point out that, you know, for every one millennial that uh, departs a city like Vancouver or Toronto, I, I think the number is 7 to 12 are coming in to replace them. Um, do you think that we should be aware that maybe this could put increased pressure on the housing market as we have more people coming in to replace this cohort that might be leaving? Well, again, it does stress the the uh, the importance of focusing on the supply side, and we know, and and, and it's a good thing. I mean, the fact that either millennials or other uh, generations coming into Canada's larger uh, cities is a sign of vibrancy, is a sign of of healthy major uh, cities in in Canada, and they're coming in for good reasons. You see opportunities, either professionally or or for uh, uh, they're uh, for living conditions, uh, and uh, so uh, I think we should embrace them still coming uh, to to join our ranks. Uh, but you've got to make sure that the housing that we uh, that is available to them is, is appropriate, the right kind of housing at the right uh, at the right cost. So obviously, you set out to look at the what of it all, like what is going on here with the numbers, and I wonder if we wanted to think about the why of it all. Like, why is this happening uh, with regards to, say, an age cohort that is presumably leaving in some part due to housing costs and then being replaced by an even larger group of the same population? I just wonder, and tell me if you think that there might be any you know, uh, truth to this, but it, does it just come down to the fact that young people like to live in larger urban centers? Well, that's definitely the case. I mean, this is the, the observation of when you look at as a share of total population, uh, the these cohorts are those with you know, between the age of twenty and thirty-four, and then the, the focus of our attention there uh, is there, that cohort is still overrepresented in kind of those largest cities. And my bet would be that it that's probably true of uh, all major global cities as well, uh, and it, it's just. Restating the reiterating the fact that large uh, global cities are a magnet for for young uh, mobile talent coming in. They see again opportunities, professional opportunities, and moving in uh, those cities to uh, for the lifestyle. 
Um, so they, they continue to be a major magnet. And to be to be honest, I, I just don't see that changing by going forward. I think uh, Vancouver, uh, in particular, has, has, has lots to offer uh, to a younger generations to the extent you know, they, that they could be affordable. And this is again, and then that policy should uh, focus on ensuring that there is some some housing supply that is affordable and has the right. Uh, um, attributes uh, to satisfy the needs of the younger generations. And if we think about the numbers that you have uncovered here, uh, you point out that Vancouver uh, last year added 16,000 people uh, ages 20 to 34. How do we stack up versus other large cities, uh, most notably, say, Toronto, which is also experiencing a, a lot of issues when it comes to affordability? Yeah, well, but I mean, I mean, the, the sheer numbers would obviously uh, uh, tell you that uh, Toronto is attracts the bulk of, of uh, millennials just because uh, Toronto is the largest city and or larger largest urban area in, in, in Canada but even if you look at the percentage change uh, that uh, uh, in in those uh, population groups uh, you'll see that uh, Vancouver is growing at around uh, two point like that that age core is growing at two point four percent in uh, compared to uh, 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 4.1% in Toronto. That's for 2018, which so is like one year snapshot. Uh, uh, and so even though uh, Vancouver millennial uh, age cohorts aren't growing in percentage term as, as fast, it's still at 2.4%, still very rapid growth. Well, uh, Robert, as always, appreciate you taking the time. This is a very interesting report that you put out now, and I want to thank you for joining us on the program. Okay, it's been it's been a pleasure. That's Robert Hogue. He is senior economist at RBC. Stay with us. Craig Patterson, editor in chief at RetailInsider.com. He's going to join us to talk about all the latest industry news. And with us now, it's Craig Patterson, the editor in chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, thanks as always for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. A lot of fun topics to dive into. First of all, here's something that I know that you're always intrigued uh, to talk about. I am as well. But uh, the grocery business here in British Columbia, Fresh Co, Fresh Co, that kind of discount sort of budget brand, it is expanding here in BC with its first store just opening up. And it's coming after Sobeys has closed a number of its own Safeway stores last year. It's kind of, you know, a switching it around with this Freshco brand. What should we know about Freshco as it enters Western Canada? Oh, I think Freshco is going to be a great, uh, <laughs> I think I think people are going to be very, very uh, pleased with Freshco. It's a, uh, we say off price, I don't know if that's the right term. It's an inexpensive grocery retailer that's known to have reasonable quality goods and uh I think that, uh, you know, Western Canada, uh, you know, a lot of people like Value, uh, Real Canadian Superstore does well. And this is Sobey's way of kind of getting in and trying to take market share from, uh, you know, Real Canadian Superstore, uh, you know, as an example, and no frills. So, uh, you know, it's a win for the consumer, but, uh, it, you know, a lot more competition, I guess, in the grocery retail, uh, uh, you know, spectrum, uh, certainly in Western Canada now. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more fresh food stores coming. I think they're going to be really successful because they are in Ontario. Well, what do you make of Sobeys deciding to close those Safeway stores last year? I think there are like almost a dozen of them in BC. Uh, was it just the brand couldn't really compete? Because uh, I do know that Safeway leans more to the pricier side of things. 
Yeah, I think that uh, they reevaluated their store portfolio and saw some locations, you know, were performing better than others. Uh, I think some strategically were always going to be intended for Freshco. I think they looked mm. at the demographics in the area and, uh, you know, just didn't want to announce that was the case. But, you know, I'd certainly heard rumors there. Some of them just weren't doing well. Um, I know one, a landlord of one of the locations, I don't know if I should say which one, but they told me that, you know, the store wasn't doing that well and that they, uh, well, they just ended up not even opening a Freshco in that location. So, oh, really? Um, I don't know if they've gotten a grocery tenant to replace it, but yeah, you know, not all of the locations were doing that well, but I, I think some of them, you know, were just earmarked as almost a test and, you know, we'll see fresh goes, I think, rolled out across Western Canada, including, you know, Alberta and probably, well, already Manitoba is confirmed and, uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, I, I think it's exciting news. Uh, I think people are going to embrace it, uh. But it is very much a suburban experience. You don't really see that many fresh coast stores in downtown cores. Uh, Toronto has one like on the edge of the downtown core, from what I recall. But you know, it'll be more for people in the suburbs. Well, how do you think their expansion plans are in terms of sustainable growth? Because they, they do seem to be somewhat aggressive with regards to their designs on Western Canada by year's end. But is it going to be sustainable? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, they've got real estate already so you know if they're going to be utilizing some of their existing real estate uh, uh, to build these stores uh, you know i think it would be and also i mean already uh, you know soapies has this distribution network down pat uh, you know safeway has been in existence for for many 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 years um i think it would be i mean this is really a conversion of uh, uh, you know uh, I, I guess real estate or, or of a retailer you know moving their their store banners around a little bit uh the one thing though you know to always think about and this is something i don't really have a lot of insight into is what kind of margins are they making on these lower price goods versus you know more expensive safeway store um i'd want to get somebody who's a bit more of an expert in that area in terms of grocery to answer that type of question but uh you know, in terms of sustainability, I guess ultimately they still have to make a profit off of this endeavor right, and yeah. uh, hopefully they can make a profit, you know, with perhaps lower margins, uh, depending how they're sourcing their product to their fresh coast stores. Well, one company that's been making profit lately, uh, Lululemon, of course, and they're now getting into the footwear game, which we know is a pretty in- competitive sort of endeavor. What do you make of Lululemon's plans here, Craig? Uh, I mean, Lululemon has a really strong brand and a very strong brand loyalty. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't get into footwear sooner, just given that Lululemon is very much uh, known to be a technical brand. But I think that this could be, uh, you know, hugely successful for Lululemon, uh, you know, just given that people already associate the brand with being, you know, an athletic brand and, you know, in, I guess, in, you know, yoga and other, uh, you know, endeavors. Um, you know, if they can nail the shoe line and uh, do something, uh, you know, that people, consumers are going to want, you know, in terms of style and functionality, um, you know, the brand could explode even further in its popularity. And, uh, you know, they've also announced that they want to do a lot more in menswear as well. They want to double their menswear sales. Completely plausible, I think, uh, you know, given how men are uh, these days, you know, with, with athletics and fashion and the whole, uh, you know, casual dressing uh, uh, trend that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, this is a really good time for Lululemon, I think, to expand because even the high-end brands now are doing, you know, sweatpants and uh you know, sort of streetwear styles. And Lululemon, I think, can actually kind of almost uh, go after uh, brands like, say, Balenciaga in terms of, uh, you know, a casual style that can be worn during the day as well as at the gym. What do you think the appeal is, you know, with regards to Lululemon and footwear? Is it mostly just the brand or is it assurances of kind of the quality that people would be getting out of this? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, Lululemon has told a really great brand story. Uh, You know, part of the experience of going into the stores is... uh, 
you know, they've got brand ambassadors. They invite you to come sweat with them. It's it's an interesting experience. I've been to a few of the stores and, and it's almost been surreal. But, um, you know, I think part of it is the cult following of the brand. And then I think part of it is, you know, the quality or at least the um, realization that the quality should be consistent. I guess as long as you're not wearing black pants, that becomes sheer if your size or rubbing or whatever that incident was, sure. you know, Lululemon's pants. But I think overall it's known for as being a good quality brand. And, you know, even though some may complain about the prices of products, uh, you know, there was a, a news report recently about Calvin McDonald saying uh, he's the new CEO, uh, that they weren't going to be discounting the price of the pants. Uh, you know, they may not have to, you know, there's a certain demographic that, you know, isn't that price sensitive. If it's 75 or a hundred dollars, they're not going to care. Um, you know, for some hundred dollars isn't a lot of money for a pair of pants because some people are spending well over a thousand dollars. So, uh, it's not as expensive as people think if you put it all into perspective. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, one individual who knows how difficult the shoe industry can be, it's clearly contacts founder, Roger Hardy. Of course, we had that, uh, high profile failure of his shoes.com venture just a few years back. He's now going back to what he knows best. He's uh, getting into the acquisition of an eyewear company based in Richmond, BC, LD Vision. Tell us what you think about this move to get back into the eyewear game. It's interesting. I mean, I'd be curious to see what he's got planned in the long run. Uh, you know, he start, He founded uh, Coastal Contacts, I believe. Like, that was his brainchild. Uh, which which is amazing. And, you know, shoes.com, I mean, I know that the concept didn't fly in the end, but it, I think it was not a bad idea, actually. I mean, uh, it was, uh, you know, Clark, the founder, uh, you know, I mean, the, the company was doing really well for a while. I don't exactly know, you know, why in the end it, it had to fail the way that it did. But unfortunately, you know, I think a lot of money was spent. No, I, I think that, you know, given that he's doing what he knows and he's been successful in the past, uh, he may very well be able to execute something successfully again. And, uh, Apparently, he's doing that without a non-compete clause or, or you know, without a non-compete yeah. clause or something like that, right? But it's been so many years. I mean, how many years ago has it been since he uh, uh, left uh, Clearly or Coastal Contact? It's been, I think, four and a half, maybe five years at this point. So Okay, yeah. 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 I, I can buy it that uh, he's allowed back into the eyewear game. And look, if it's something that he's an expert in, it probably is a better fit for him than something that's just totally out there, right? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, obviously he had the expertise and he certainly got the background in eyewear. So, um, you know, he may do something innovative and new and different. I mean, quite often what we see with founders is when they come in with a different brand, so they were, you know, with one and then they, they come back a second time, you know, they may have some ideas that, uh, uh, you know, the previous company doesn't have, and they may look to disrupt the industry. So, you know, this might be his comeback in terms of, uh, uh, you know, creating something very disruptive. And there's a lot of just companies out there trying to disrupt the eyewear industry right now. So it'll be interesting to see what he wants to do, because um, if you look in, you know, your local malls, like, you know, at uh, the CF Pacific Center and a few others, you know, Bond Look has opened, uh, you know, stores and they're out of Montreal. And you've got all these different eyewear retailers coming in uh, to Canada. You know, they do, they'll do contact lenses as well as, you know, actual physical glasses that you put on your face. And um, I've never seen so much competition all at once. You know, Warby Parker uh, recently opened in Vancouver. Uh, we're seeing, you know, other, uh, you know, Bond Look uh, and Mujosh now out of Hong Kong. Um, you know, is uh, they open a West Edmonton Mall. They're going to do three stores in the Toronto area, and then they plan on blitzing the country with about 40 locations. So, uh, a huge amount of competition out there. But you know, for companies that are able to disrupt and you know grab the consumer uh, in some way and grab their attention and get them to spend, you know, that's how a retailer is successful. And 
you know, a lot of people have bad eyes, yeah. <laughs> including myself. But. Oh, I'm there with you. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be interesting because, you know, as, as you alluded to, maybe the eyewear landscape has changed quite a bit over the last five years since he was last doing this. So I'm wondering how uh, nimble and adept that his new venture will be able to uh, be moving forward. Uh, the other thing, look, if you listen to any single podcast out there, uh, you're inevitably going to hear some commercials for mattresses. And we have the Mattress Wars in Canada continuing to heat up with Casper. They're now launching Made in Canada products, kind of a shot off the bow towards ND Mattress, which is promoting itself as kind of the Made in Canada solution. Do you think there's going to be increased competition? Do you think it'll work out for consumers? What's your take on this, Craig? Oh, huge. I mean, this is, uh, you know, Casper's going for the jugular. By the way, um, for anyone who's been in the Kitsilano area recently in Vancouver, you may have seen some construction hoarding go up next to Warby Parker. Uh, Casper will be opening its first store in Vancouver. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some news for everybody. Uh, you know, it, it's not confidential or anything because literally the hoarding is up and it says Casper. But, um, you know, yeah, you know, Casper is really, really, really competing. Uh, you know, Andy, uh, I'm assuming, still has the number one uh, – uh, you know, has the most market share, I guess you would say, uh, in the country. You know, they were in line to do 50 million in revenue. Uh, you know, Sleep Country uh, bought them out. So, you know, that was that was an interesting move because I think Sleep Country actually has three. Yeah, they've got three mattress in a box brands under their own umbrella alone. They've got Andy, uh, Simba, and uh, Bloom, I believe is what it is. So, uh, you know, it, it's hugely competitive. Like, uh, I'd have an ulcer if I was involved in that industry right now because. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's incredibly competitive. So, you know, uh, Casper is expanding, uh, you know, I think they want to do something like 25 showrooms in Canada and that's just physical showrooms. You know, they're selling online like crazy. And now that they, you know, saying basically we're like Andy, we've got Canadian manufacturing, you know, they're really tying themselves into being, uh, they're not Canadian, but they're really playing on, you know, being part of Canada. And they've got a headquarters down on Queen street in Toronto. Um, that's part of a store that they opened there a few months ago. And, uh, you know, so they've got this, you know, Canadian office now. They've got Canadian manufacturing, and uh, you know Canadian President Nicole uh, Tapscott, who uh, President or CEO, I think the term is President Public. And um, you know, again, she lives in Toronto, so uh, I think the brand is trying to localize itself, which is something that uh, I think kind of makes sense and, and may grab people uh, and get them to buy a Casper as opposed to an Andy, perhaps. So you never know. Well, it's been a few years since I've bought a mattress. I think before this trend really took off, but I'll, I'll tell you, I'm intrigued enough that uh, next time I'm in the market for it, I will be looking at one of these uh, mattress in a box sorts of brands that are been sprouting up here for Canadian consumers. But uh, until that time, Craig, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. And that's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for our show today. We'll be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends and leave five stars. It's going to help more people find the show. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thank you for listening. 